you haven't already, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we continue in this series that we've entitled Rediscover Church. And we come to uh, this series with a bit of examining about who we are and what we're all about. Uh, as we rediscover church, we are uh, placed in a, in a moment and in a situation where we are called to evaluate, are we the church that God wants us to be? Are we doing His things with the right attitude and with the right purpose in mind? For far too often we do these things and we forget the reason why we're doing them or how we are to go about doing them in a way that honors and glorifies God. Last week we talked about the importance of gathering together and doing so because we can't do this thing called the Christian life on our own. And today we come to the subject of preaching. Yes, we are going to preach a sermon about preaching. It's going to be an odd sermon because in essence I'm going to talk about what I'm talking about, right? And I'm going to give you some clear uh, mandates from the Bible of, as to what you should be looking for when a person like myself takes this place, whether in this church or any other church you're a part of. And in doing so, we need to ask the question, when it comes to preaching, are we booming or are we busting? That is, is it a boom or bust dichotomy? Uh, far too often, uh, we come in with all kinds of ideas and thoughts that we're doing well, when in essence, we're not. I came to this conclusion this week uh, with the Chicago Bears. Uh, we, as Bears fans, came to this realization uh, early in the offseason that we were going to have a good year. The men from the north no longer had their star quarterback, and things were going to be better. Things were going to be different. Even the national media said that the Bears were going to be contenders. And in three games into this season, we have not seen boom, we've seen bust. In fact, when I was on Twitter this last week, I saw a picture came up that told us how bad of a bus we are. It talks about the last time uh, Twitter was under someone else's oversight other than Elon Musk. That was October 22nd. And someone said, what NFL teams have won a game since October of 2022? And the answer is everybody except for your Bears. What a bust. And then someone sweetened the deal, if you will, and said, well, let's look at every major sports team in America and let's see how many of those teams have won a game <laughs> since Elon Musk took over Twitter. And every single sports team in all of America has won a game except for your beloved Chicago Bears. The whole purpose of having a team in the NFL is to be victorious. And the Bears can't find a way to do that. They are favored to lose today to the second worst team by a touchdown. It's a complete bust. But they'll go through the motions and they'll play the game as if they're doing something right. And you say, why are you bringing that all up? Because when it comes to preaching, a lot of times there's a great amount of churn, but not much milk. There's a lot of activity but there isn't much to show for it. There's a lot of moving parts, but there isn't victory. 
You see, in every church in America today, there's a portion of the the service that will be dedicated to what we're doing right now, the preaching of God's Word. And we would think that part and parcel with the church is preaching, but I'm here to tell you today that not all preaching is equal. Not all preaching is good. Not all preaching is healthy. Sadly, in our world today, not all preaching is biblical. And so if we're going to rediscover church, it's altogether right and good for us to evaluate our own preaching. It's easy to look at the mistakes that are being made other places, but let's focus in on here and ask the question, what do I need to rediscover about preaching that makes me a better Christian and a better follower of Jesus Christ? And corporately, what does it need in the preaching here to make this place a healthy and vibrant place that God wants it to be? Now, this message is for everyone, but two people in particular. First of all, it's for the young person that's on their way to moving out, moving on to college, moving on to living on their own. And and part of that move is to move away from the church that they grew up in. My hope and prayer is that you'll remember this sermon. As you look for a church, as you look to sit under teaching at another place, that you will find a church that believes in the power of biblical preaching. Number two, the second group of people that I I pray for that will receive this message one day later will remember this. Last year, 11% of our church, 11% of the Sugar Grove campus moved out of state to start their lives in a new chapter of their life somewhere else because of work, because of family, because of climate, you name it, uh, people moved on. And one of the things that I would hope and pray for is as people continue to make their move, that they would remember this as they look for a new church. That they would remember this message and the things that are declared in this message is going to be a different kind of message. But it's a message that's altogether needed. And as we preach this and proclaim this, we'll understand what God wants to do in and through it to make us better. So let's look at four things this morning. I'm going to move quickly through them. But first, we've got to recognize the mistakes, the common mistakes being made. We need to recognize the common mistakes that are being made. Let's pick up uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here's the problem. Here's the mistake. Paul tells Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So let's start in the middle. And recognize that just because someone gets up and preaches doesn't mean it's good preaching. Paul says that there's a problem with two groups. The first group is you, the people. Notice he speaks to you right away and he says the time is coming when you will not endure sound teaching. The reason why you won't endure sound teaching, now notice what it's not saying. It doesn't say that you will not endure preaching, that you'll give up on going to church, 
that you'll quit listening to the preacher altogether. Notice the mistake, the problem is, is that you will find people to teach you that suits your own passions, your own preferences. They'll speak to your prerogatives. That will speak to the things that you want. And as culture continues to move away from a biblical worldview, it will become more and more difficult for you to find preachers that will preach against that type of life and living. And what you will see is more and more people finding uh, teachers and preachers that make them feel good. That make them feel right that make them feel vindicated from any kind of remorse over their sin. And Paul says, people, you've got a problem. Be careful, because you will do this because you've got itching ears. You want to be entertained. You want to come here and feel like all that you're looking for is taken care of. And you will go out on an all-out search finding the preachers that will take care of those things. The second group that's got a problem, equally as bad as your problem, is the person in my shoes. Because notice, you go out on a search to find people, and you have no problem finding them. In fact, it says that the people will accumulate for themselves. That is, they will gather for themselves. It doesn't sound like there's scarcity to it. Teachers, preachers, who will do exactly what you're looking for. The nation's largest church is a church that fills an NBA arena with a preacher who smiles a lot and tells you how great you are. And people can't get enough of it. They can't get enough of it. They love hearing about how great they are. Why? Because at the heart of it, sinners love to hear how great we are. How good we are. And it's not hard to find preachers. And we've got to be careful. And, and this isn't just happening in one church. It's happening all over the place. And, and this is a steady and slow yet steady downward spiral to things. I like what Stephen Lawson says, and probably the longest quote I'll ever read to you, he says the following. As the church moves through the 21st century, the stress of producing booming ministries has never been greater. Influenced by corporate mergers, towering skyscrapers, and expanding economies, bigger is perceived as better. And nowhere is this Wall Street mentality more evident than in the church. Sad to say, pressure to produce bottom line results has led many ministries to sacrifice the centrality of biblical preaching on the altar of man-centered pragmatism. A new way of doing church has emerged in this radical paradigm shift, exposition, that's the teaching of God's word, has been replaced with entertainment, preaching with performances, doctrine with drama, and theology with theatrics. The pulpit, once the focal point of the church, is now being overshadowed by a variety of church growth techniques. Everything from trendy worship styles to glitzy presentations and vaudeville-like pageantries. And seeking to capture the upper hand in church growth, a new wave of pastors is reinventing the church and repackaging the gospel into a product that can be sold to the consumer. 
The famine in the pulpits across the nation reveals a loss of confidence in God's word to perform its sacred work. While evangelicals, that's us, affirm the inerrancy of Scripture, that is, that the Scriptures are without error, many have apparently abandoned their belief in the sufficiency to save and to sanctify. Rather than expounding the Word of God with growing vigor, many are turning to lesser strategies to resurrect dead ministries. But the each newly added novelty, the straightforward expounding of the Bible, is being relegated to a secondary role, further starving the church. You see, doing God's work God's way requires an unwavering commitment to feeding people God's Word through the relentless biblical preaching and teaching. He is telling us the mistakes that are being made, both by the people and by the preacher. And once we recognize the mistakes that are being made, we need to then move and rediscover, that's the whole purpose of this series, is to rediscover God's mission for preaching. If we don't know why God has created preaching, then how will we know what we're to get out of it? How would you know what's to come of it? Well, understand this, first of all. From our text, write this down. I want you to take a lot of notes this morning. You need to understand this and know this and never forget this. Preaching is demanded and commanded by God himself. It is demanded and commanded by God himself. Notice what Paul says. I charge you in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. There is no stronger, more passionate, more full-throated endorsement of biblical preaching in the Bible than right here. Paul says, I charge you, that phrase takes us from the worship center to the courtroom, And he says, in the courtroom, you have God, you have Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, don't forget preacher and people, he is the one who's going to judge the living and the dead. And based on that, I am calling you to preach the word. It is a solemn charge with the Godhead in mind and a reminder that preacher and people, we will be judged for the preaching we give and we will be judged for the preaching we sit under. This is serious business. We will be held accountable for the type of preaching we do and the type of preaching we allow to be done to us. And so Paul says to Timothy, if you're going to be judged by God, you better know how you're going to be judged. So what do we need to know about biblical preaching. Well, first of all, we need to know that preaching, write this down, must draw its content from Scripture. It must draw its content from Scripture. I, as a preacher, cannot preach my favorite new book. I cannot preach the newspaper. I can't preach my new show on Netflix. I cannot preach the movie I saw this summer. I have to preach one thing. It says, I am to preach the Word. It is clear. I am to preach the Bible. That word preach is an important word. In the Greek that Paul uses, it is literally to be a herald. H-E-R-A-L-D. A herald 
We don't use that type of language anymore. But a herald was one in ancient times who was a messenger for a king. And so the heralds of the kingdom would come and listen to what the king had to say so that they would be dispersed out into their communities to tell the people what the king wanted them to hear. The job of the preacher is to hear from God and to communicate the very word of God to the people. You didn't last very long as a herald in ancient days if you taught or you spoke your own words. It wasn't your job. Your job was to take what you heard and to tell others the exact words that you've heard. The preacher's job is to go to the Word of God, to hear from the Word of God, and to very precisely tell the people what King Jesus has to say. A preacher's not worth his weight if he preaches anything but the Word of God. We are to preach the good news of the gospel. Now, we are tempted to preach all other things, and that's why I like what Hugh Thompson Kerr said when he said the following. We're not to preach sociology, but salvation. Not economics, but evangelism. Not reform, but redemption. Not culture, but conversion. Not progress, but pardon. Not a new social order, but a new birth. Not revolution, but regeneration. Not renovation, but revival. Not resuscitation, but resurrection. Not a new organization, but a new creation. We're not to preach democracy, but the gospel. Not civilization, but Christ. And he says, we are ambassadors. We're not diplomats. Diplomats go to keep peace. Ambassadors go to represent King Jesus to the world. And so here Paul is saying, we need to preach, we need to herald, we need to convey the message of one who is greater than us. Why? Because he will ask for an accounting of the message that we've received. Number two, this is to be done in all circumstances. We are to be ready in season and out of season to do what? To preach the word. Preachers, your job and my job is to do it whether we like it or not. Whether we had a good week or not. Whether we walked well with the Lord or not. Whether the kids were good or not. Whether our marriages were great or not. We are to preach all the time the Word of God. Why? Because it's not our Word. It's God's Word. We preach it in triumph. We preach it when we fail. We preach it in plenty. We preach it in lack. We preach it when the church is doing well. And we preach it when the church isn't doing well. We preach it when it's easy. And we preach when it's hard. We preach when our messages will be popular. We preach them when we know everybody will hate our guts. We're to preach this. Why? Because God's called men to do this. And he will hold us accountable. We need to recognize this is the job that we're called to do. It is to draw us content it is to be done in all circumstances. But notice, what is it to accomplish? Why is it so necessary? Let's remember why preaching's a must. Why do we have to have this time? Why can't we sing more? Why can't we have testimony time? Why can't we just pray more? 
Why can't we have more fellowship time? Why does the preaching get so much time in a church service? It is because what God intended for preaching to do, nothing else is going to be able to accomplish it. So what do you and I need to rediscover? What do you and I need to remember when it comes to good preaching? What is good preaching? Have you ever asked that question? What makes a good sermon? I want you to write down five things. They're very simple, but five things that you should evaluate every sermon of mine and you should evaluate every sermon that anybody preaches to you at any church, whether here or somewhere else, five things that you need to understand that make good preaching good preaching. Number one, does it convict me in my thinking? Does it convict me in my thinking? Paul moves on. He says that you need to preach this. You need to do it in season and out of season. And then you're going to see a list of words. The first word is reprove. The word reprove literally means to bring to light. The word reprove in the Greek language that Paul uses is a word that speaks of a prosecuting attorney who's in the courtroom and his number one job is to prove to everybody in the courtroom that the person, the defendant, is the offender. That the defendant is guilty. So the prosecutor gets up and says, Your Honor and the members of the jury, my job here is to prove evidence and to show you evidence as to why John Doe is guilty of the crime. The first job of the preacher is to say to the audience, You all are guilty. You're all guilty. You all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wage of sin is death. And my job this morning is to prove to everybody in this courtroom that you all are guilty. Now right away I lost half of you. And people have made decisions based on the preaching that happens here and says this is not the church for me. I don't need to be told I'm guilty. I need to be told how good I am. I need to be told that I'm a victim of my circumstances. I don't need to be told I'm an offender. I'm good. I'm right. Paul says, you need to reprove. Now, it gets even worse. The second word he uses is rebuke. Rebuke. That is, I have to convict you all in your thinking. Now I need to confront your sin. So now I do the unthinkable. I say, y'all are sinners. And then I get specific. And I start pointing at you as individuals. This isn't the person sitting next to you's problem. This is your problem. This isn't your teenager's problem. Mom and dad, this is your problem. And you, right away, with a righteous indignation, at least that's what you think of it, who do you think you are, preacher? What gives you the rights? So a good preacher never just points at the congregation, never just points at individuals, but hopefully what you've seen is... Long before I ever point the finger at you, I have pointed all week the finger at me. And I hope that you have seen time and time again that I am the chief of sinners. 
and that I need to be convicted in my thinking and I need to be rebuked in my actions long before you need to. But it needs to be done. We need to be convicted and we need to be challenged and we need to be confronted in our sin. Again, this is why, listen, people always say, you know, church has grown. Aren't you worried it's going to become a megachurch? No. No. Why? Because I don't think there's that many people in the world that want to hear about their sin. I just don't think there's that big of a group. Because the way we preach, it's going to hurt attendance. But this is exactly what Paul tells us to. Now, you could stop there. And what you would have is you would have messages that are clearly biblical, but not very encouraging. I would beat you over the head each and every week, let you have it. And you would walk away feeling like the lowest person in the world. And partly, that's probably good. But that takes away the gospel part of it. It tells us our fallen condition, but it doesn't tell us about redemption. And here's where redemption is. Redemption reminds us that there's encouragement. What's the encouragement? I need to, in preaching, comfort you in obedience. I need to comfort you in obedience. Notice it says, I need to exhort. Exhort means to encourage. And so I need to encourage a couple things. Number one, after I've told you that all men and women are sinful, and I've pointed out that you particularly, with a particular sin, have some areas that you need to work on, and I'm there with you, I need to do this as well, we feel pretty rotten about ourselves. And that's a good place to begin. Because what need do you have of a Savior if you're not lost in your sin? And so good preaching then says, but hey, I got good news. The bad news is we all blown it. But the good news is King Jesus came. And King Jesus came for people like us. And so maybe you've blown it this week, but there's grace and mercy and forgiveness at the foot of the cross. So run to the cross and cling to the cross and you will find the grace that you're looking for. And so we've got to preach this to encourage people to not grow weary in doing good. And where the church is doing this, and let me encourage you, okay? You are an awesome church when it comes to receiving good preaching. You make it altogether easy for me and anyone else to do it. I remember my friend Ray Pritchard was here a couple of years ago, and he said, you invite me back anytime you want. I love preaching to these people. I love it. They love to hear from God's Word. And he was invigorated. If I could just bottle up Village Bible Church and take it wherever I go, 20 years would come off of my life. And he's right, and I want to encourage you in that. Because you want to hear that. You want to be confronted in your sin. You want to be challenged. But you also want to be comforted to know that because of Christ, God has great plans for you. Because of Christ, we don't have to be lost in our sin. Because of Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Now, if I forget that, then I'm going to miss out on the next thing he says. He says, I'm to do this with complete patience. 
Last month, I celebrated my 20th anniversary of preaching here. I've averaged... That's what my notes said. It said, say how long you've preached and then people can clap that it's your last, right? So 20 years, okay? And I appreciate the, the applause for that. Here's what I want to get at. We've done this a lot. Okay, I've averaged 45 messages a year, Sunday morning messages. That means that we've done this 900 sometimes. 900. 900 times. And I got to be honest with you, every week one of you come into the church and your life's a wreck. And your life's a wreck not because of just circumstances. Your life's a wreck because you have done foolish things. So the pastors sit with you and, and the elders counsel you and we hear, well, I made this decision and I was pursuing this and I was doing that. And, and I hear that. And humanly speaking, I'm like, how could you? 900 times we've talked about this. 900 times we've opened the Word and I've told you over and over from the Old Testament and the New Testament. I've told you again and again, don't do that. And now you're sitting here and you've done that. What's wrong with you? Humanly speaking, that's the approach the preacher should have until the preacher remembers that 900 times I've preached this to myself and I still don't get it. 900 times. And let's be honest, I, I'm here three times. <laughs> now you're getting it. And so complete patience. I need to listen. Good preaching shows compassion. I get it. Sin is so tempting. It is so easy to give up on God. It is so easy when I'm away from God's people to fall into the practices of the unbeliever. I get it, I get it, I get it. And I need to make sure my preaching makes that clear with complete patience. Then he says the teaching. The teaching, it needs to be done properly. The teaching, it is the, the curriculum. The word of God is the curriculum. And so we need to show compassion. We also write this down. We need to confirm the intention of the author. Like, what does that mean? What that means is, is this book that was written to us, listen to me, I'm going to cause some of you to struggle with what I'm going to say. This wasn't written to you. Let me pause. It was written to an original audience. It's for us. But this letter that Paul is writing isn't written to me, even though my name's Timothy. It's a different Timothy that he's writing to. Paul writes to Timothy 2,000 years ago in the first century, not the 21st century. Paul writes it in Greek, not in English. Paul writes it to a Middle Eastern context in a Middle Eastern church, not a Western American church. And so there's a lot of things that are a dotted line to us, not a straight line. So the proper understanding of God's Word is I need to know what was going on there so I know how to apply it here. And so I've got to do that right. And one of the areas where I'm most concerned for the church is that we are all about presentation, not proper exhortation. 
What I mean by that is a person can get up and preach a powerful message by never preaching the word. Let me give you an example. A message was preached here years before I was the pastor here. And I had been studying and growing in my knowledge of preaching. And I would say, in the foyer, there was a palpable response to this sermon because people thought it was the greatest sermon ever preached. And the guy that did it did a phenomenal job. He was candidating for a role of pastor here, and he knocked it out of the ballpark from a presentation standpoint. His message was entitled, How to Withstand, How to Weather the storms of life. Well, that's an important thing to talk about. How do we deal with trials? How do we weather them for the glory of God? Well, that's going to be great, right? Everybody can use that. And he <laughs> preaches from a text. The text, you don't have to turn there, but the text was Acts 27, verse 29. That's his text. This is where I'm going to draw my conclusions from. Acts 27, 29. Here's the text. How to weather storms in your life. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, we let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Very interesting. How to weather storms in your life. Let me tell you, church, how to weather storms in your life. When the storms of life come, the storms of cancer, the storms of death, the storms of financial ruin, the storms of relational struggle, what you and I need to do is drop four anchors. Faith. Faith is the first anchor. Faith in God. You've got to believe in God. You've got to trust in God. The second anchor is hope. God's got great plans for you. God's got great purposes for you. God's going to use this storm for your good. Love is the third anchor. Love for God. You've got to love God and, and be passionate about your relationship with God. And then the fourth anchor is you've got to love one another. In the storms of life, you cannot... You cannot get angry with those closest to you. you got to love them and be patient with them. And he shared heartfelt story after heartfelt story. There wasn't a dry eye in the place of which I wrote in my Bible. I don't know about weathering the storms of my life. I think they dropped anchor to stop the boat. Some of you didn't even get that. The whole intention was we ran into a storm. We needed to stop the ship from going anywhere, so we dropped anchor. He's not telling us anything about weathering the storms of life. He's telling us what happened. This is what we did. Our tire blew out, and we pulled the tire out of the uh, trunk of the car. We grabbed the jack. We loosened the lug nuts. That's not how you weather the storms of life, amen? I'm just telling you what happened when the tire went flat. And yet the people of God walked away thinking they had heard from God. And I want you to be here like, oh, Tim, this, this is small. This is huge. This is why the Bereans are viewed as the most beautiful of churches because they took what was said and they challenged it with the Scriptures. Did what I, what I just heard, did it come from the Bible? Was that the intention of the Bible? So brothers, we do this all the time. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, give you a bright hope and a future. And we preach that till the cows come home. Woohoo! 
Well, that wasn't written to you. That was written to the people that were going to experience another 70 years of captivity. If you just read the verse before it, you would know the context. 70 years and captivity will be over. For I know the plans I have. I'm not going to leave you in captivity, Jeremiah is told. But we do this all the time. We pull scripture out and we apply it and we preach it really, really good. And we think we've preached the word properly. The Bible says that a workman's not ashamed when he rightly divides the word of truth. we got to do it right. Why? Because God wrote the book. God wrote it and I got to get it right. I also got to close this message. So, final point. Final point. We need to reap the blessings that make us better. How do we reap the blessings? We allow the word of God to sober us. Notice he says we need to be sober-minded. We need to allow it to steady us. We need to allow it to send us out proclaiming Christ to do the work of the evangelist and to spur us on to our calling. This is what preaching should do. Now, how are you to get there? How are you to get there? I want you to write this acronym down and we'll close. How do you sit under godly teaching? By exhibiting faith. Faith. Do you feast on preaching? Do you feast on it? Are you hungry for it? I say this all the time. I love my wife, Amanda. There's no better person in this world than, than my wife, Amanda, to me, right? And that should be said of every husband to their wife and wife to husband. And it would be as if an award ceremony was going to happen where people were going to gather together and talk about how great Amanda is. And me being bored by that. Me being like, can we, can we be done with this? Enough about Amanda already. Really? I mean, how much are you going to say about the woman? How can we be so quick to be like, are we done yet? Are we done talking about my Savior and Lord? Are we done talking about the person I'm going to spend all of eternity with? Are we done? Can we be done talking about the person who saved me out of the vilest of sins and made me as white as snow? Can we keep that in 30 minutes? Or do you feast on it? Now, there's nothing better than being in the presence of God and His Word to hear what God has to say to His people. Are you feasting on it? Are you feasting on it only when I'm here? <clears throat> Are you feasting on it throughout the week as God's Word is taught in the many venues that we have available to us? Number two, are you applying it? Are you applying it? Are you taking it and doing what you can to make it applicable to your life? Good night. We could have just had Will just share that video again. I want to live in such a way that people ask who I believe in. That's applying the Word of God. He's nailed it. How about interacting with others about it? You hear it, and it doesn't just, okay, we're done. Now I can put it away. I don't have to talk about it anymore. This is what our small groups are all about. This week, 50-plus small groups gathered together to talk about what biblical preaching is. And I wasn't a part of any but one. They just talked about it, and they interacted with it, and they, they challenged one another with their own thoughts and, and, and aspects of what they understand of the Scriptures. Are you training others by parents? Are you taking what you're hearing? 
and teaching it to your kids, grandparents to your grandkids? Are we taking what we're learning and being willing to serve in other places so that others can hear it? And are we holding on to it no matter what? I am more convinced than ever before that the greatest gift that God gave us after Jesus Christ himself was his word. And that we get to hear it. And I am overwhelmed by the calling that I get to preach it. And the deep sense of gratitude that I have that you're willing to listen to it. We need to rediscover why preaching is so important and never forget it so that this pulpit will be a place for generations to come that will hear the word of God taught, not the opinions of men.